Hello, good morning, everybody. It's nice to um, see everybody saying hello on the chat. Um, I get the great joy of welcoming everyone this morning. This is Church Central Online, whether you are watching from Facebook or whether you've joined us on the Zoom chat. Uh, we are a family of churches across Birmingham. And in case you don't know me, my name is Becky and I'm a part of Church Central South. And I get the great joy of welcoming you to this, the third of our questions in crisis. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the question, how do we deal with the losses of lockdown? And I don't know about you, um, but I certainly haven't spoken to anyone during this whole time who hasn't ex been experiencing loss of some kind, whether that's felt really, really big or whether that's felt a lot smaller. Um, it feels like whatever COVID has done, it's given us this common experience of disruption um, and so whether you've been going to church central for years and years and years or whether this morning is your very first time joining us um welcome we are so glad to have you here with us um, and whatever your beliefs are um whatever questions you might have been asking throughout this time whether of yourself of others maybe even of god um you are so welcome this morning and we're just really overjoyed to have you with us um, and we want you to feel a part of this conversation. We want this morning to be a genuine dialogue. Um, and so to that end, in a moment, we're going to be um, joined by Rich Pitt, who's going to be giving a short talk um, on this question. And he's going to be followed, um, that'll be followed by an interview with Emily, who is a member of Church Central West. And then it's your turn. We're going to have a live Q&A here on Zoom or Facebook, um, where you have the opportunity to ask your question it's going to be anonymous so no one will see your screen your face and um, no one will see your name so we won't know who's asking the questions which means that you can ask any question you can be as honest as as you want to be um, and you can either do that by putting your question on the chat function here on zoom or if you're watching on facebook then you can put your questions in the comment section um, and they'll get picked up as well um, so it's great to have you with us um, and I'm going to hand over, I get the joy to introduce you to Rich Pitt now and I'm going to hand over to him who's going to speak for us. Great, Becky, great job. Um, I was going to say, can people hear me? I'm not sure that there's going to be any way that I can tell if you can hear me, but maybe some friendly people could start sticking some stuff on the chat just to say yes uh, and uh, then at least I'll have peace of mind. Um, I hope you're doing okay. Um, great. Chris Yo can hear me. This is good. This is good. We're rocking and rolling. Um, I'm really excited this morning to uh, share with you on this topic. Uh, I'm excited because I'm in a building, not my own house, which has been very rare. Uh, I'm at our church central offices. And uh, so that's a bit of a treat. Um, but also I'm excited because I think this topic is incredibly important. And also I feel the weight of the need to be quite sensitive as I speak into this topic, because I know that for some of us, this will be something that's perhaps a little bit more raw right now than it is for others. So I, I hope that I can speak with sensitivity. I hope that I can speak with some substance as well and not waste your time, but give you something that will bring you strength in this whole crazy time of uh, lockdown and COVID and all that jazz. I wanna begin by asking you a question. I want you to reflect for a moment on what you have lost during lockdown. What have you lost during this time? I know for some of you, you'll find that slightly hard to think about because you, you won't really be able to think of much. Um, you've been sort of sipping cocktails on your patio for the last three months and you, you've lost your commute, but you didn't like that anyway. And you've lost uh, having to go to all those social engagements that you never really wanted to go to but you always felt you should and now you don't have to and you know so you're kind of sitting pretty. I know that for others of us though and I would say perhaps if we reflect the the vast majority of us this has been a time of loss. It's not pessimistic to say that, it's not glum to say that, uh, there are many things we want to be thankful for and many blessings which we can spot uh, in all of our lives, I'm sure. And yet it is simply realistic to acknowledge that this has been a time of loss. It's a time of loss in two ways. And people who have commented on uh, crises like this or wars or natural disasters have always spotted these two forms of loss. First of all, there is the loss of life. 
And we don't want to let the statistics wash over us, though we've got used to seeing those numbers creeping up. There are over half a million people around the world who have died because of a virus none of us had heard of before Christmas. Half a million people who, as a Christian, I believe are valuable, precious, deliberate, created people who have lost their lives. It is a time of loss. I know that nationally, we almost 10% of those figures and those people died in our nation. And I know that for some, it's close to home. I know, uh, having seen uh, some people in the chat saying hi, there are people watching this who have lost friends, have lost colleagues, and have lost loved ones. It is a time of loss of life. And yet more than that, and broader than that, it is also the time of the loss of life as we know it. Uh, the loss of our, our normal way of life, the, the things we got used to, and that's affected all of us. There are no are watching right now, people who've lost their work and all the stress that comes with that, financial losses, exams are unable to take and all the stress that comes with that. Uh, people I know who are watching who were unable to hug uh, their loved ones at funerals. Uh, relational connection with loved ones, even the mundane stuff that we don't really ever even think about, like just chatting at work or uh, bumping into one another on the school gate or whatever it is. We've lost so much in this time and we need to learn how to deal with that. We need to learn how to cope with that well and healthily. And what I want to do this morning is really offer you four things that we need in order to process loss well. Four ingredients, they're not linear steps in a neat process that you can tick off when you've done them, but four senses, four ingredients that we need in our experience if we're going to handle times of loss well. And what you need, let me just run you through them so you know where we're going, you need permission to truly grieve, you need somewhere to turn for comfort, you need meaning beyond your loss, and fourth, you need hope for the future. You need permission to grieve, comfort, meaning, and hope. And for each of those, what I want to do is briefly explain why I think those are important when you face a loss. And then cards on the table, I want to show you why as a Christian, I think that following Jesus gives you access to phenomenal resources in those four areas. And then we're going to hand over to Emily and we're going to hear how this works in a real life. But to start with, thing number one, thing number one, we need permission to truly grieve. Uh, let me just tell you a bit about my family. My, my family has a long-standing friendship with a family that lives in America. It started when my dad was in his 20s, so about 400 years ago, and, uh, and their families became friends, and it's gone on uh, over the decades, and it's meant that several times we've been able to host them here in the UK, and a few times we've been able to even go out there and visit them for a little while as well. It's one of the best things in our lives. It really enriches our uh, family life. Um, and one of my earliest memories of this uh, family relationship was uh, in the UK, we were at a football match, um, and uh, a couple of things happened at this football match. I was about four years old. The first thing I remember is some of the group kept calling it soccer, which is unforgivable and really annoying. So we'll move past that. Um, the second thing that happened was my team lost, which happens quite a lot, and the mother of this family, Renee, and if Renee somehow is watching in the middle of the night from California, I love you and I miss you, um, but this moment scarred me forever. Uh, Renee uh, came to me as I was sobbing the loss uh, of my football team, uh, came to me and a few people had tried to comfort me and she just grabbed me on the cheeks and she looked me in the eye and she said, Rich, get used to it, kid. And uh, that line has become sort of historic and uh, well uh, known in our family. Now, it was a very appropriate thing for her to say, um, and I have had to get used to my football team losing, uh, and it was quite wise to try and snap me out of it. But imagine that she'd come to me in a more serious loss, uh, something much more substantial, and had said that. It, we all know that would have been so inappropriate, don't we? Because we, we, we need to have time to 
not just get used to it, kid, but to acknowledge the pain and the grief and uh, sit in and even speak out and, and let out our anger when we experience loss and grief. But what we tend to do in Britain, and if you've clocked this, is we tend to kind of not do that. We're pretty rubbish at grief in the UK. We, we, we seem to think that we need to rush it or, or push it down. But that's a massive problem because grief undealt with, loss undealt with, does not go away. It simply hides for a bit. And then you, many of you know it bursts out later on with a vengeance. There has even been studies that show that there are physical health consequences down the line to unprocessed pain and grief. We need permission. We need a way of thinking about the world that gives us permission to truly grieve. Now, uh, how does a belief in God and Jesus and all that Christian stuff relate to this first point? You might suspect that Christians like myself uh, would be those who struggle the most to acknowledge pain and to uh, let out our anger at suffering in the world because we believe in God and God is over all of that. And we, therefore, don't we, need to be his sort of press officers who spin everything that goes on in the world, like you see politicians do, squirming, trying to justify things that they clearly disagree with. Don't we need to spin everything and say, oh, it's all good. It's, you know, it's not that bad. God is good. But I would say that's not the case. Christianity gives us a phenomenal basis, uh, the best basis for truly grieving pain and suffering and loss because according to the Christian story those things were never meant to be part of our experience. Think about it with me for a moment. If there's no God then our pain and your pain and loss sits within a chaotic random accidental universe driven by the forces of chance and survival of the fittest and, and, and it's just your DNA, you're just DNA, you came from nothing, your heads are nothing. And so in that story, of course, there's going to be chaos and, and loss and pain and grief. And it should never have been any different. You're just lucky to be here at all. And basically, really, you just need to kind of get used to it, kid. But the Christian story says that's not the case. When you feel as maybe you have done in this time, that the world should not be like this, that the world shouldn't be like this. We shouldn't experience this sort of thing, these statistics, or even closer to home. And the Christian faith says, you're exactly right to feel that. The world we inhabit, according to Jesus, is, is not as it was meant to be. It has fallen. It has broken. It has become marred by disconnect and distance. And it happened because humanity disconnected itself. We disconnected ourselves from God. And that relationship between God and humanity was so central to this whole cosmos that as we disconnect and as we step into distance and darkness in our relationship with God, it's like the whole created order takes our lead and it, and it, and it, it, it falls. And disconnect and sorrow becomes just part of our experience this side of the fall but it was never meant to be that way whenever you have felt oh is the world meant to really be like this the christian faith does not tell you off for thinking that the christian faith says no it was not meant to be like this which might explain something of why jesus of nazareth who gets a bit of a rep as a happy clappy guitar sandals inane grin kind of hippie when he came into the world, yes, he had joy, but he was also full of grief. He walked to the graveside of his friend, his best friend, Lazarus. And even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead in about 10 seconds, he didn't just grin and say, it's all good. He wept. And more than that, it says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And that when you get into the language in the original language, that, that, that was words that were normally used of a wounded animal. It, it, it's this guttural roar, this howl of grief that comes from God, the son in human form. Jesus seems to see loss and grief and death and pain 
as things that he's personally offended at because they should not be here. They are intruders. And so I don't know what you've lost, how this question relates to you. But as you feel, oh, it shouldn't be like this. Jesus does not grab you by the cheeks and yell, get used to it, kid. He says, would you join with all creation and join with me in grieving the brokenness of this world? Christianity gives you true permission to truly grieve. We don't want to stop there. Okay, we don't want to get stuck there forever. So what else do you need to handle loss? Hopefully you're still with me. I have no idea of knowing whether you are, um, but hopefully you're still with me. Uh, thing number two, we need to turn somewhere for comfort. That is, we need someone or something to turn to or join us in our pain to somehow help ease our pain and soothe our pain so that we can keep going. And uh, you might think that you're not the sort of person who needs comfort, um, but no one, no one, hear me, no one gets a pass on needing to turn somewhere to comfort. We all turn somewhere to comfort, for comfort. And you've been uh, doing that through uh, lockdown, as have I. We've been when we feel sad, and when we feel anxious, and when we feel fearful, and when we feel pain, we all turn to something. The only question is, will we turn somewhere healthy that will restore us and put us back together? Or will we turn to something unhealthy, something ultimately destructive? And many of us in our quest for comfort, when we feel pain, throw ourselves into distraction. So we throw ourselves into work if there's pain at home, or we throw ourselves into home if there's pain at work, or uh, we dive into video game marathons and, uh, hey, I love FIFA with the rest of you, but uh, it turns from a hobby into somehow something we hide in, uh, or Netflix binging, and hey, I love Netflix like the rest of you, but to hide in it, to try and turn to it to heal our wounds, it's not going to work. Others of us turn to things that are not evil in and of themselves, but when used as medication against pain, turn very nasty very quick. Things like alcohol, another glass of wine, another glass of wine, another glass of wine, another night, another glass of wine. Or food, there's a reason it's called comfort eating. Something I know a little bit about in, in this lockdown as my, uh, my rice cake and bread bin uh, cupboard would, would, would tell you. Or maybe it's even sexual activity. Uh, a great gift from God and a good thing and Christians get weird about it but it's a good gift but somehow if we use it as medication for pain it can get pretty destructive and into all of that there is one place that you're invited to turn in your pain that is not destructive and will not leave you thirsting for more but actually when you turn there you realize it was where I was always meant to turn for in my pain it is the comfort we crave and have always craved and will always crave until we go there. It is turning to God, our maker. I don't know how you feel about that, uh, but I just want to give you some great encouragement. You want to ask how God feels about that. God is absolutely willing and ready to be your comfort. The Bible and our churches are full of people who have testified that in our moments of loss and pain, the God of heaven, who sometimes feels distant, rushes to us and somehow comes to us in tangible closeness. It's like he is everywhere and he loves everyone, but he seems to particularly rush to us when we are in affliction. The Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in every affliction. And as the psalmist said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so from his end, I just give you this great news. The God of the universe is ready and willing to be your comfort. The question is, are we ready and willing to turn to him? You need permission to truly grieve. You need to turn somewhere for comfort. Thirdly, you need meaning beyond the loss. Meaning. Uh, many of you, and I'd ask for a show of hands, 
but the only hands I can see are mine. Um, but many of you have heard of the five stages of grief, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And uh, again, like this uh, talk, the stuff I'm talking about today, they're not linear steps that you tick off. It's a, a mess. Grief is a mess. It's an experience that is untidy in its nature. But those are five elements that you tend to experience. But in recent years, there has been a development in that whole theory. There's been acknowledgement and now across the board agreement that there should be a sixth feature added. And so now there has been and it is meaning, not mere acceptance, but further to find meaning. Meaning either in the loss, that is, we understand why something happened. And that is a gift if we can know the meaning within a loss. But I just want to be real. Oftentimes in loss, it seems senseless. And, and though we may cling on and, 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 and truly believe that there is a, a reason, Often we cannot see it and often there seems to be senseless loss. And so not just meaning within loss, we need to find substantial meaning for our lives beyond uh, loss. Now, this doesn't fly well in the face of uh, Western kind of thinking and the, the Western life story, because the kind of how life works and our quest for meaning works often in uh, the West is that we seek to get more and more and more and more of the things that we want in life. And that's what our meaning is. So we, we uh, accumulate more money or comfort or, or relationships or experiences or status or success or whatever it might be. But it's as we gain those things that we gain our meaning. And that's all well and good. Who doesn't want to gain all the stuff they want? Like sign me up. But it, it fails when loss hits us, because when a pandemic hits or other moments of loss and your meaning is tied up in the accumulation of more than when you lose something, you lose your meaning. Some of you can relate to this. If you, uh, like me, uh, were furloughed for a period of time, uh, just say that was voluntary and I was up for it. So it's not having to go at my employer. They're a good bunch. But if your meaning is in your work and then you're furloughed, you lose your meaning. And if you lose meaning, you lose everything. If your meaning is in your money and then the graphs on the, the, the financial situation in our nation that makes the 2008, was it financial crisis, just look like a tiny blip. And then the graph goes boom down. And if our meaning is in our money, we lose our meaning when we lose money. And if you lose meaning, you lose everything. I, I say this very sensitively, but if our, if our meaning is in anything, and I say this bit really sensitively, or anyone that we may lose, then we are ultimately very vulnerable to a crushing final loss of meaning. And into that comes Jesus. And Jesus does not say, hey, don't worry about money or friends or family. That stuff doesn't matter. No, he knows that that stuff has a place in our lives. And he wept and howled at the loss of his friends. So he's not cold to our losses. But he does bring us amazing news. He says, if you come to know me, you can know a meaning in your life that is gloriously unlosable because the meaning of life in the Christian story is to know Jesus, to know him, to be near to him. And the Bible says that that is unlosable, that when you come to Jesus, even though you muck up loads like I do and you go through loads like I have a bit and everything that life throws at us, the Bible promises in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I don't know what ties you have had cut in this time, but the Bible says nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Can anything in life? No. Can anything in death? No. Can heights or depths, can pain or sorrow? No. The Bible says we are sure that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so if you have suffered loss, you must grieve it. 
you need comfort, but you do need meaning beyond the loss. And Jesus stands today and says, come and find indestructible meaning in a relationship with me. Now, I, I, I'm going on and it's on Zoom and I'll try and wake you up by knocking on your telly or phone. Um, and we've got one more thing to go for, the fourth thing. And then you're going to hear how this lands in a real life, my friend Emily. The fourth thing you need is hope. Hope for a better tomorrow. Uh, loss has been described as being like a fog that descends on us and robs us of anything like a horizon it just closes in on us and our reality shrinks and all we can see is our loss and so to endure we need hope that one day the fog will lift the clouds will part and the sun will shine out bright again See, ultimately, if you've listened to this talk, well done. Um, but you've been thinking, I ain't really that bothered, Rich. I haven't really lost much. It, it, it like, chill out. I, I need to bring you a sobering but very obvious reality. One day you will lose everything because one day you will die. And death is the ultimate loss, isn't it? You, you, you lose everything when you die. We, we lose uh, our money. Can't take it with you. Lose our possessions. Can't take it with you. We lose our relationships as we're cut off from them. We lose everything at the moment of death. And whereas the secular atheist vision of that moment is that we then cease to be and our story ultimately ends in darkness. And our, the secular vision of the future of the cosmos is a bang and then darkness and nothingness and we will be forgotten. In the Christian faith, the story of tomorrow is of a day brighter than we can imagine. That just as Jesus plunged into death and darkness on Good Friday and rose again to new life on Easter Sunday, that those who say yes to him, death will not be the end. It will not ultimately be a loss. It will be a loss that is a gateway to the truest and deepest gain that we've always wanted. The horizon ultimately, and I can't promise you a happy this week or a happy this month, but in Jesus, I can promise you, if you come to him, a happy eternity. A day when even unthinkable losses will be far outweighed by the joy and connection and closeness that is found in relationship with God. And he, my friends, can be yours if you want him. You might say, as I wrap up, you might say, Rich, it all sounds very well and good for, for Christian types. I just ain't into it. Or, or you don't know the things I've done, the, the, the things I've done with my life, the things I've turned to for comfort. You don't know my secrets. You don't know my past. You don't know my hurts. And, 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 and that is true. But I know that Jesus came into the world, lived a perfect life and then died on the cross to take all of the punishment of the mess that we make of life, all of the punishment from God for the things we've done wrong. Jesus on the cross says, I'll take the punishment, God. I'll do it. I'll do it in their place. And as he is punished, it means that the way is open now, that there need be nothing that stands in the way between us and God, because Jesus has dealt with it. Do you know the only thing that stops you, that will prevent you, from coming to God to find permission to grieve, comfort, meaning and hope. The only thing that will stop you is if you refuse to come to him. But from his end, he has done everything and he stands today willing and ready and calling your name to draw you near. I'm, I'm pretty much done. Uh, I'm going to, uh, in a moment, uh, ask my friend Tim, who's doing the tech, to queue up uh, a video of a story of how this stuff lands into a real life. But before we get there, I just want to say this. Maybe today you, you, you don't know Jesus. Uh, you're not a Christian and, and you're just looking in. I want to encourage you, keep looking in, ask your questions. Uh, perhaps use the chat. If you message all panelists on Zoom or message us on social media, if you're watching on Facebook uh, and say, hey, I'd like to find out a bit more, uh, then we'd be really glad to follow this up with you. I think there might be a few though who have been doing that for a while and actually today is maybe a day where you realize there's nothing really stopping me anymore from coming to this God I want in I, I want to follow this God uh, if that's you the way is open 
and you can come home to him right now, you can begin a relationship with him. I'm going to just say a, a short prayer, um, which can feel a little bit strange on Zoom, but don't worry, uh, we'll all be okay. And it's a short prayer that you can pray just where you are in your heart. You can agree with this prayer if you want to today uh, come to know this wonderful God. So let's just pray for a second. Jesus, I admit that I have lived my life away from you. And I want to know you today. I want to come to you. Thank you that you died so that nothing could stand between me and God. Thank you that you rose to bring us hope. I put my trust in you that I might have hope in this life and be with you forever in the next. Amen. Amen. That was unusual via Zoom, but thank you for uh, persisting with me. Uh, if you've prayed that prayer, I'd really love to know so we can encourage you and help you. Um, why not use the chat uh, or, or let us know on social media. Um, if not, everybody, um, you have permission to stretch your legs. Uh, I'm going to go and get a drink um, as we queue up this uh, very, very um, fantastic uh, interview that I did with uh, Emily uh, a few days back. We recorded it, we pre-recorded it because we weren't quite sure how Wi-Fi and live and kids napping and things like this was all going to work. So uh, we've got it recorded and then after that, Becky will uh, introduce us to what's on next. Okay, Tim, let's go for the video. Lots of people will know you, but lots of people won't. So do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Let us know a bit about you. Great. Yeah. So um, my name is Emily. I'm part of Church Central West. I am married to Sanju. Uh, we have two school aged children, Grace, who is eight, and Caleb, who is six. And we also have a six month old baby called David. Um, and so because of that, I am currently on maternity leave from my job um, where I normally work as a physiotherapist for the NHS. And that's pretty much me. I like coffee dates and walks in the park. <laughs> hey, this is good. And those two things are like increasingly allowed. So that's good. Yeah, yeah thankfully, yeah. <laughs> okay, Emily, in terms of this uh, theme of lockdown and this time right now and how it's impacting us all, I wondered if you could give us just a bit of a sense of what that's been like for you and what lockdown's been like for you and your household and perhaps some of the losses that you've been living with in this time as well. Great. Yeah, well, I think it's fair to say that 2020 doesn't look anything like what we'd imagined it would look like. Um, so just over a year ago, when we decided to extend our family, uh, we had a, a picture of how it would all be um, with the older two nicely settled in school and happy. Uh, both of us had secure jobs and life was just a bit calmer that I thought it'd be nice to bring a baby into the world while life was quite calm and, and we were quite secure and settled. Um, I imagined going for lots of coffee dates in cafes with my friends. I imagined going to mum and baby groups and meeting new people. Um, I imagined having a lot of time, just me and the baby at home while the older two were at school and, and really enjoying that. Um, and I also remember my midwife asking me whether I had good support networks. And I remember thinking, yes, I have lots of good friends and um, church friends and family nearby that would help me if things were hard and I know um, they'd be very willing to do that and I was very willing to accept help and so I imagined it being quite blissful and uh, my baby David was born at the end of January and for the first eight weeks of his life I would say it was very close to that picture it was very blissful it was lovely and I'm really grateful for that time because it was quite calm we did have a lot of help and everything was just as I imagined but then lockdown hit um, and all the panic with the, the coronavirus and suddenly life looked very different. Um, it was chaotic. Um, like many, we found it's been a bit of a roller coaster. There were times when we're very happy and grateful for how life is and we know that our circumstances are quite good really. But there are also times where we wished we could have <laughs> the life that we imagined we were going to have for this year. Um, so we're homeschooling the older two, um, trying to balance that with looking after a newborn who whose naps are unpredictable. <laughs> um, my husband's job now is under threat and um, so that security that we had is, is now not there anymore and so we have to see what happens there. And I found myself at times being a little bit bitter that this, this year that we're lucky to have in, in this country, a whole year maternity leave, is quite a precious year 
and the fact that it's not looking like I had imagined um, at times has made me feel uh, grumpy and um, has been quite hard to battle with those emotions. Um, I am again very grateful for all the, the things that we do have and some days I find it's easier to be grateful and other days the, the bitterness kind of takes over and, and it's just been hard and tiring and unfortunately I haven't been able to accept the help from friends and family because at, at one time that wasn't allowed so we were kind of on our own um, juggling everything and being crazy busy and very chaotic so yeah there's been challenges. <laughs> now, I know that um, in kind of our friendship before this time I know loss isn't a new theme for uh, you and for your family and loss isn't a new experience it is something that you guys have, have walked with and um, and followed Jesus within the midst of loss um, as a family and wanted to really just give you some space to tell a bit of that story and open some of that up for us um, and, and tell us how that's been. Yeah, so it's interesting because when I was thinking about how during this pregnancy with David, I imagined life going a certain way. And uh, like I say, that's all taken a different turn. Um, it reminds me how it's very similar, actually, with our first pregnancy uh, when we were expecting our first daughter. And I had this, this vision of how motherhood was going to be. And I, I imagined um, kind of a very rosy picture of perfection that we were going to be the perfect parents and we were going to have the perfect baby who would sleep through the night and nap well and um and it was all just very rosy looking and everything was going to go right how i planned and um be very smooth sailing um then halfway through my pregnancy it became very clear that that wasn't going to be our journey it wasn't going to look like that picture i'd imagined um at my 20-week scan we were told that our baby girl had a very serious heart condition called hypoplastic left heart syndrome which meant that chances of survival were very low and any hope of survival of, of this child growing up to adulthood um, would involve several uh, life-threatening operations potentially a heart transplant um, they told us that her heart was very weak and would eventually fail and they said it might take 10 days after she was born or 10 years after she was born they, they weren't sure um, but that it was going to be a rough road and um, and would involve many hospital stays and you know all sorts of difficulties so nothing like the picture I'd imagined of us, us perfect family uh, living at home with, with no none of those concerns it all was um, kind of shattered really all those dreams um, looked very different now um, and it's fair to say that in that season I reached a level of brokenness that I didn't think I would recover from. Um, I really struggled to let go of those hopes and dreams. Parenthood was something that was so important to me and, and it, looking how I'd imagined was, was something that um, I really kind of idolised, I guess, and, and it was hard to let go of. Um, as it happened, just to share a little bit about our, our daughter, she was born um, in 2010 on the 21st of July and she was actually a lot healthier than, um, or appeared a lot healthier than the doctors first imagined and did very well in the first few days of her life. Uh, but then they ran some tests and they said actually the situation with her heart is more serious than we had anticipated and we really don't know what we can do for her. Um, we're going to try to do some surgery but she may not survive. Um, and I'm pleased to say she did survive the surgery, she did really well. There were so many up and down moments, so many times we came close to the wire. Um, but by God's goodness, um, she did pull through and miraculously she, she did so well actually that when she was eight weeks old, we were able to bring her home and have some of that picture that I'd imagined. We, had, we built some memories with her where actually we were living as a family, um, just as I, I dreamt we would. Um, so that was really lovely and something that we're really grateful for. Um, when she was 12 weeks old, very suddenly one morning, um, it started very normally. Um, she had a, a lot of medication she was on, so I gave her her medication. I fed her, she was tube fed, so I fed her through the tube. Um, and then just after changing her nappy, I was holding her and very peacefully, she stopped breathing and passed away in my arms. Um, and obviously that's just such a huge loss. And the grief that we experienced, um, I don't want to downplay, like it was very real and very painful. Um, but also at the same time coexisting, there was this peace that I can only describe as being supernatural. It wasn't something we were trying to feel. Um, it wasn't something we were trying to work up in ourselves. 
uh, I don't think we had any strength um, to pretend we were feeling something we weren't, but there was just this presence of peace that we had the moment she died that, that stuck with us actually. Um, and we felt God come really close and comfort us. And it, I know it says in the Bible that, you know, he, he does rush to those who mourn. He does comfort the brokenhearted. Um, and we found that to be true. We, we knew God's presence very close with us in the moment she died. And we were grateful that it was a relatively peaceful passing um, as well. Um, but as anyone will know who's, who's experienced loss, um, grief is a journey that doesn't follow any rules. There's no set pattern. Um, so it's been up and down. There's been times where we felt um, even joyful, um, you know, and, and happy and grateful for the gift we were given, even though it was a short time. And other times where we've just felt like crippled by grief and and it's with no timings or anything. There's just, yeah, I say no rules to it, really. Um, uh, but one thing I do remember feeling was a huge sense of shock, um, shock that God, who we followed and served, allowed this to happen, allowed this level of grief and loss to happen in our lives. And I remember, um, you know, reaching for my Bible and, and flicking through, thinking I must be able to find something in here that, that tells me that this shouldn't have happened to us, that God shouldn't have allowed it to happen. But page after page in here, there are examples of people who experience pain and sorrow and loss and hardship. And I realised that actually God never promised that we wouldn't go through things like that. But he does promise in many places in the Bible that he will not leave us, that he will be with us in it. He is a God who himself has, has suffered. <laughs> um, so he's not distant in our suffering. And I can testify that in our case, we have known that to be true. Um, actually, our experience of loss has brought us closer to God um, to the point where, and it even surprises me that I say this because I know 10 years ago, I wouldn't have expected to ever say this, but I actually wouldn't change our experience that we've been through because of the closeness it's given me with God, because of the peace I have as well about the fact that my daughter, who we call Joy, um, is now in heaven. Um, it means that actually I'm, a, I'm okay with the loss. I, I'm almost grateful for it because it's given me a new freedom to actually live life without clinging on too, too hard to the things that I want to be the case. Um, I can hold it a bit more lightly, knowing that everything is a gift um, and I'm not entitled to everything. Actually, the, yeah, this Bible doesn't promise that I'm going to get everything I want, but it does promise that when things don't go well, um, I'll have a God who's close to me. So, yeah, that is pretty much my story. <laughs> yeah. Emily, thank you. Thank you so much for letting us hear some of that story and hear about joy. And it's a real privilege to, mm. to have listened to that. So thank you. Um, I guess kind of wrapping up, um, mm. uh, all of our stories are different. That's the one thing we have in common is we have very different stories from each other often. And, um, our losses will be different. Um, and yet from your uh, vantage point in your experience and your uh, hard-earned wisdom really I wondered what what you would say to encourage us and uh, we'll have a whole range of things in our experiences but to encourage the rest of us from what you've walked through um, as we try to deal with some of our uh, losses of different sorts. Yeah uh, I guess I would say that when there is a loss of, of whatever nature um, what comes with that is emotion and we don't always choose what emotions we feel we don't always um, want to feel the emotions we're feeling so whether that is sorrow or even bitterness or, or, or potentially you know jealousy of, of other people who seem to have everything worked out um, you know none of those emotions are good to feel we don't want to feel them but I think from my experience the best thing I've done and the thing that has really helped allow God into my heart and work on me um, has just been to be very real about the emotions I'm feeling. So real with God, first and foremost. Um, he's not surprised by our emotion. Uh, he's big enough to handle our emotion, whatever the emotion is. Um, and if you're real with him and honest with him about how you're feeling, I find then he can uh, come in and, and, and work. And so, yeah, I did have times where, as I, as I said, you know, I felt very bitter, very angry. And certainly, yeah, jealousy came into there as well, I'm afraid, and certainly sorrow. Um, but I don't feel those things anymore, actually. I'm not, I hope it's come across, I'm not bitter about our story um, at all. And so God has worked on me. And I think 
what has helped is being very honest by being very honest with God about how I feel as well as being honest with others and I think the body of Christ can really do its job well when, when you've got good church friends that you can be honest with so expressing your emotion admitting it not trying to resist it sometimes I think we try and put a positive spin on things too quickly before we've lamented before we've mourned the loss um, again there's a whole book in this bible called Lamentations so I think God is okay with us lamenting I think um, it, it is okay for us to express sorrow when we're mourning whatever loss it is um, and I think actually that's when we put ourselves in the place where God can really work on our hearts so yeah I'll just say being honest with God honest with others about how the loss has made you feel um, then kind of allows God to to do things and it does say as well in the bible that he turns our sorrow into joy and again I would say that we've certainly experienced that so yeah just to say a huge thank you and uh yeah it's been a privilege to hear your story thanks Rich Hello everybody, welcome back. Um, I feel incredibly moved by that. I'm sure lots of lots of other people do too. Um, and I now get to introduce and welcome back Rich and Emily. Um, so hello guys, welcome, welcome back. Um, and this is the part of the morning where we are um, gonna have more of a conversation. So this is the opportunity for you guys to ask your questions um, of Rich or of Emily or of both. Um, all you need to do, like I said earlier, is just pop those questions here on Zoom in the chat um, and we'll pick them up. Or if you're watching on Facebook, you can put them in the comments um, and we'll pick them up there. Um, and so please just feel free to ask any question. Is that right, Rich or Emily? You're welcome, welcoming the questions this morning. <laughs> so no, no need to be afraid. I have a friend who once told me the only silly question was the question not asked. So <laughs> please feel free to ask away. Um, I'll give everyone a moment to kind of maybe process and, and think, of, think of some of their questions. Um, but yeah, specifically, just a big thank you to Emily. It was really powerful what you shared and um, thank you very much. It was okay. great. Yeah, thank you for the um, opportunity to share. It's always a privilege, so thank you. <laughs> um, so there are a couple of questions already, so I might just um, kick off. Um, and of course, if you have some more questions out there, please feel free to, to ask as the conversation gets going. Um, so maybe Rich, I'll, I'll give this one to you first. You can kick us off. Um, that's okay. So the first question is um, something I feel guilty um, because I haven't suffered much loss at this time or at all. So how should I think about this time when I've got, I've not lost much at all? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I recognize that hearing this, um, perhaps for a minority of us, this is the rawest moment of our life. And um, yet for many of us, we're sitting on the sidelines of the pandemic, a little um, protected and enjoying the no commute stuff um and 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 i i felt that absolutely i felt that um i'd, I'd guard you against guilt because guilt sometimes is an is an appropriate feeling uh when you have done something wrong you should feel guilty um and part of being a christian is that uh, our, our guilt gets dealt with because even our wrongdoing is forgiven and dealt with by Jesus' death. But guilt sometimes is an, is an accurate emotion to our actions. And sometimes we ought to feel a little bit more guilt sometimes than we do. But guilt is only an accurate emotion when we have done wrong. And to not have suffered loss in lockdown is not a, a sin or something that you need to feel bad about. Um, I think that that part of being a Western person uh, often is that our lives are protected from a lot of the suffering that would be commonplace for most human beings who've ever lived. So I don't think we need to feel guilt about that and we can just acknowledge that. Um, I would say that um, it's important to be um, not waiting for the one or two substantial crises of your life before you start processing pain and grief in your in your heart actually smaller losses do need processing they need processing in relation to the size of them so if you've lost like a couple of days of annual leave because of your furlough agreement you probably don't need like nine months of howling to get over it um you probably just need to get used to it kid 
but, but as the scale goes up, we do need to process things. So a, a, a loss of um, interaction with all of our loved ones for three months isn't nothing. Mm. And as we can tell doing this conversation on Zoom, this is one of the best privileges of my whole lockdown to have this conversation with these people. But it's nothing like sitting in a living room and having it. And, and so we should mourn some of the losses that we've had. Um, there's, a, there's a few thoughts. Yeah. Thank you. Emily, Emily, you got anything to chip in on that? Um, just that, like, so I'm a firm believer in seasons. We all go through seasons in life, seasons that are good, seasons that are hard. And I think if you happen to be in a season that actually you've benefited from lockdown, maybe, or that there's been some good things happen, it's okay to embrace that. There's bound to be other times in your life where you do face struggles. So don't feel like you need to make yourself sad. And, you know, if you're actually in a, a good place, then, then that's fine. And um, you can still be sensitive to those around you who have had loss. And actually maybe you know, we kind of need some people who aren't sort of really um, crippled with loss right now to be able to be sort of stronger to help support the, the ones that, you know, don't really have much strength right now because of all they've lost. So, yeah, so I think it's a good thing if you're actually in a place where you haven't lost. Um, just the first thing that came to my mind was um, in Ecclesiastes 3, where it, it talks about how there's a time for everything. Um, so one of the verses says, you know, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn and a time to dance and, and yeah I just think whichever season you're in it is okay to mm -hmm. embrace that and be grateful for for where, where you are really and no need to feel guilty. Yeah that's really helpful both thank you it's helpful to um kind of recognize even if the losses feel small that doesn't that doesn't mean they're not there and to be able to really approach them and just sort of off the back of what you were saying Emily in terms of even if you know we might not feel like we're going through significant big losses ourselves uh, we might know people who are um, so just off the back of what you've been saying someone's been asking the question um, have you got any advice on how to help others with their losses so Emily would you would you be okay to go first and then Rich maybe you could pop him um, yeah so what I'd say is if you've got somebody who you know is experiencing loss I, I would be guided by where they're at um, with how you support them so um, you know, if they're in a place of, of weeping and mourning, um, I would avoid trying to make them feel better and, and trying to put a positive spin on it and, and just think, I'll be all right. You know, I think, um, as Rich said in his talk, sometimes we do that a bit too quick in our culture and actually we need to allow that time to mourn. So mm -hmm. um, joining someone in their weeping um, actually may feel like it's a bit helpless, but it, I can speak from my experience. I, I know that it, it does actually uh, really help to have people alongside you who are just ready to join you in the hard times. Mm -hmm. um equally you know I love that verse in, in Romans 12 15 where it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep um and I love it because I think it does just simplify how to care for somebody who's is going through difficult times because again you're just joining them where they're at so um again in grief and in losses as I sort of shared in my story there are times when we want to happily remember our loved ones um or maybe just be thankful for what we have had you know what, whatever it is um and so again, I would say join them in that. Don't try and, and be all forlorn and, and, and miserable because you feel you have to when you're talking about loss. Um, if they're happy and rejoicing and reminiscing in a happy way, join them in that. Um, mm. But actually, if they're sad and weeping and just needing time to grieve, join them in that. Don't try and bring them out of it. Um, and yeah, again, I can testify that um, friends that have been able to join us in, in both seasons are the ones that have been the best friends that have become lifelong friends and so I think you can really serve someone well if you just join them in their grief or in their rejoicing. Mm, that's really helpful Emily it's almost like creating space isn't it for um, the person who's experiencing loss to be where they're at not yeah. kind of hurrying them along to the next thing but giving them that space that's really helpful. Um, Rich do you would you offer any advice at this point as well? My advice would be get friends like Emily Karmacharya. That would be my, oh. would be my advice. Um, genuinely, I, I think um, that 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 is that is it, isn't it? It's it's meeting people where they're at. Um, some of us like talking. Some of us talk into the zooms for twenty five minutes because we think we've got lots to say, and that's not always wrong, but sometimes silence is appropriate and particularly as Christians because we have a lot of resources in the gospel that are very helpful 
we can sometimes rush to sermon mode and um and it's not that we don't want to bring the realities of god to bear on our losses we do but uh, in the bible there's a famous innocent sufferer who is called job mm-hmm. and he has some friends who come to him and i had this really awkward moment when i was a new christian where i read job and as his friends were, were giving him all these re oh you must have sinned loads or you must be a bad person or you must not live life properly if you've suffered and i i was sort of underlining it because i was reading it thinking oh god it's a bit heavy but obviously it's in the bible so it must be true and how you respond to loss then you get to the end of the story of job and god goes they are miserable comforters they are terrible friends and you're like oh remove the highlighter i wasn't meant to believe all of that stuff Um, so actually being a friend who comes and preaches is a little bit dangerous actually um and 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 actually the the best friend was the one who came in and and just 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 sat and uh so maybe some of that is helpful Mm, that's really good rich it also i think speaks in a little bit doesn't it about the kind of friend that god is that he will sit with you in those things he will be with you um, you won't be distant. That's really helpful. Um, so another question um, that we've got um, is more of a, maybe a, a practical one. So, uh, Rich, at the beginning of your your talk, you mentioned about grieving. There's permission to grieve. We have permission to grieve um, properly. Um, and so practically, how how do you do that? How do you avoid the kind of self-medicating that you mentioned? It's so easy to do that, isn't it? To kind of avoid it and think, oh, that, that next glass of wine or um, that other thing. So how how practically do we grieve well? Yeah, um, I, I can start and then I'll hand to Emily. Um, but I think we need to remember that there's no comfort um vacuum like like we we can't not find comfort um and so it's not simply focusing on i shouldn't do the naughty bad destructive comfort stuff like i should try really hard in my grief not to medicate myself with red wine um because if we we will we will go somewhere so I think it is a it's a proactive if we can and that's why we need community helping us over a long period of time over a long period of time so there's no rush but to 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 proactively turn to God um and I think that that's in weeping um I think that's in reality I loved what Emily said about being real God is big he's big enough to handle you mm-hmm the real you and the only place because God is real and you are real the only place you meet God is in reality and if you mask on you ain't meeting with God God is meeting with some some fictitious person that looks a bit like you but if you if you can with help know that God stands as a closer than a brother uh, the God of all comfort and, and turns to him but that that that's very hard. Um, Emily, I come to you. Do, do you have practical help from, from your experience? Um, the only thing I was thinking is just kind of, um, and it involves, yeah, kind of willingness to want to do this, but surrendering everything. So almost sort of in my experience, I found it, it wasn't so much I was looking for comfort. I wasn't asking God to comfort, but he, he does just rush in anyway and do that. Um, but yeah, as you were saying, Rich, it kind of has to come from a, an honest place of just um, telling God you need comfort, I guess. And then, like I say, it's quite quick to do it. I've, I've found in my experience, he does rush in. That is a, a biblical promise. He's not going to make you beg him <laughs> um, to bring you comfort. He, he, he just does it. So there wasn't a whole lot of effort on my part to try and find the comfort. The only thing I guess I, I did in a way was just sort of surrender and as you said um be very real and express the um sorrow um which meant that then he did just rush in so um i guess maybe the only other thing that comes to mind is if you think you're going to be tempted to go to um other things for comfort then there might be some practical things you could do to try and avoid it so not having alcohol in the house maybe could be something obviously having a good accountability with friends um as well you know depending on what your thing is that you rush to and um, maybe just having some 
boundaries or something in place just to uh, stop you just going for that in impulse and then allowing God in. Mm. That's some really great practical advice. Thank you very much. And uh, it's just, sorry. Interrupting on Zoom is hard, which, so I shouldn't do it. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I, I was just going to add one more thing, if that's if that's possible, Becky. Um, okay. Just to say the, the importance of doing this in community, which which um, when the fog descends, um, it's a very lonely place, and um, because we're very fearful of people mistreating us in our rawness, we can shut ourselves off. I, I think one of the bravest things we can do is is open ourselves up to the help of others and um uh, and and sometimes um we might not have the strength to to do anything um or pray or think we just we're just putting one foot in front of the other in in severe loss um but that is where others can do those things for us and um and one of the things i love about being in a church um uh, of which is not the easiest place to be in the world and because uh, it's full of messy broken people like me um, but I, I tell you what you are in it together and um, and people stand with one another and, and we bear with one another and we lift one another up and we're not made to grieve alone we're made to be carried by God and others and um, so so where you can um, letting in others um who you trust can be can be helpful and then they can do the practical stuff for you maybe um just another thought yeah no, that's really great um i think we might have time for maybe one one more quick question if you guys are up for that um it's not really a quick question <laughs> but if anyone can tackle it you guys can um so the last question is you mentioned senseless loss um, what do we do with senseless loss that seems to have no possible good that can come from it? Um, Rich, would you like to maybe go first? Sure. My, my, I've not suffered senseless loss of a substantial scale. So I, that is my disclaimer. Um, but something I've learned from being in community with people over time uh, is a hard thought about answer to this question and it, uh, it, it's not that I'm giving this lightly this is a this is a very deliberate strategic answer to this question and the answer is I don't know uh, mm -hmm. so it's not a cop-out um, it's it's the having surveyed some options I need to land on I don't know about senseless lost and that doesn't mean there isn't hope and it doesn't mean that people can't come through deep tragedies um, because because they really can. Um, but but I, I I hear a lot of Christians coming in with their explanation. Oh, it was it was because of this, and it was to it was to make you, you know, so that you could be really kind to your next door neighbour. And I think that might that might happen, but it also can destroy you. So I I, I find it very unhelpful when when a Christian comes in and, and says this is why this happened and tries to bring the answer. That's not to say I don't believe that there could be purpose and that God can use it. I absolutely believe that about God, but that's not because I can see it and label it. It's because I trust in my total lack of seeing any purpose. I'm willing to trust God that, that if he's the sort of God who comes into the world and bleeds for people, that he, and, and that tragedy turns to salvation for the cosmos, then he's well good at turning tragedy into something beautiful. But um, I get really uncomfortable when people try and label it and say, it's because of this. I, I, I think I don't know why many things happen. Um, mm. And I throw myself on God um and he has shown me that he is trustworthy because he's the sort of god who dies for people and therefore um i trust him um so there's that uh, mm. emily what, what do you think i think that's a really good answer um <laughs> i think there's a time in um in the bible i, I can't quite remember where it is but some people come up to jesus and they ask him why the man was born blind was it because 
his mum sinned when he was in the womb or, or that kind of stuff and yeah they're asking those questions we want a, an answer for why this bad thing happened and um and I think Jesus kind of rebukes them and says no just love the person who's suffering don't try and find an answer for it because you're right we don't always get the answers as to why things have happened um I do believe yeah that God can bring good purpose out of things but that's not necessarily why it happened we might not know um same when you mentioned the book of Job and when, we, when you're reading that, you, we get to see what's happening with the conversation between the enemy and God. And so we know why this, this bad stuff's happening to Job, but he doesn't see that. So him going through all that suffering won't know the purpose behind it. So, yeah, sometimes I think we go through stuff in life without knowing why, and it doesn't make any sense to us. Um, as Rich said, I think if you know God and have a good relationship with him and you know that he is good, Ultimately, it just comes down to trusting that he is a good God. He would have only allowed it for good reason. And trusting that without having the answers, I guess, is um, a healthier place to be. It's not an easy place to be because obviously we all have questions, but I do think it's healthier just to kind of release it and not try and get all the answers, not try and work out um, why things have happened, but just to leave it to God, trusting that he is good. Um, and in, as I think you said in your talk, Rich, you know, you might have be, be fortunate and, and you might get a gift of having some answers sometimes as to why things happen, but we don't always. And so I think, yeah, it's just healthy to lay it down and not need to get the answers, but trust that God is good. Yeah. And the, the other thing is, is that, that if you suffer a senseless loss and people of all faiths and worldviews mm -hmm. do, um, I think the best story for a senseless loss to sit within is the Christian story because if you suffer a senseless loss in a chaotic blind random point meaningless not pointless me meaningless ultimately universe then um then there really is, you have no hope of there being ever any meaning in it because where's that going to come from um and uh, christopher hitchens who's a famous atheist writer who, who um, died of cancer um he said to the dumb question why me about my cancer the universe barely bothers to reply why not um now it's his right to believe that um but I, I think that's a desperate scenario to find yourself in so there are questions when it comes to the christian faith and senseless loss but uh permission to grieve senseless loss is evidence of what the bible says that the world is broken and needs rescuing um, so my hope is in in the one who promises he's going to come back and do that. Um, yeah. I think that that is a, a great place to, to end this morning. Um, thank you everyone for your questions as well and for um, participating. And thank you, Rich and Emily. Um, it's, you, you know, when you speak, you speak as people who um, know God, it's, you know, you talk about your friendship with God and that really comes through. Um, so it was a, yes, yeah, a privilege to hear about your faith this morning. So thank you for, for sharing.